Revelation chapter 3. For those who are here for the first time, we've been working our way through this book that we call the Revelation. A lot of folks had asked about it. And uh, we are working our way. And uh, I remind everybody, chapter 1 was about things past. Chapter 2 and 3 about things present. Chapter 4 and following about things in the future. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Most of the time when we want to hear a, a sermon series from the book of the Revelation, we want to hear about four and beyond. We want to hear about what's in the future. But may I say this to you? If we want to have uh, uh, eternity in heaven, if we want to live in paradise in the kingdom of God, we best understand what's going on today in chapter 2 and 3 with the seven churches. There are messages in this church in, this, in these messages to the church, there are messages for us that are life-changing if we will listen. Now, if we just blow it off as another sermon series, preacher did a good job, all that kind of stuff, it'll come to nothing. But if we listen to what's going on as he's spoken to the churches, it can be life-changing. Already, as we've worked through our, our way through the churches, we've talked about the backslidden church. We've talked about the beat-up church. We've talked about the bargaining church. We've talked about the church that was busted. And last week, we talked about the comfortable church. Today, we are talking about, finally, the consistent church. And I would just say to you that it seems to me that this is the church that our Lord wants every church to be consistent. Let's uh, read together. I know you've been up and down quite a bit. Some of you probably cannot stand back up if that's the case. Totally, I understand. But if you can stand, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 3, we'll read verses 7 down to all 13. Jesus is the author, and he, and he dictates this to John, and he says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and closes and no one will open and no one opens says, I know your work. Because you have limited strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying. Note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take these words that you have written and I pray that you will open our hearts. Father, if you need to crush our hearts, I pray that you do it today. If you need to send the flame of your Holy Spirit and burn the dross out, burn the evil out of our hearts, I pray that you'll do it. 
I pray you'll do whatever's required for us to become the church that you want us to be, the people you want us to be, the believers that you want us to be. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Of all the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of the Revelation that we read about, and we read about all kinds of churches, I already named them for you. We'll just have a couple more weeks. We'll be through the churches. But of all the churches in chapter 2 and 3 that I read about, this is the one, this is the one I would like to be a member of. I mean, I want you to think about it. The holy one, the true one, the one who has the eyes of fire. Now, has, has that sunk into us, folks? The one who has the eyes of fire. That means that he can look beyond our motives. He can look beyond our external. He can look to the very deep recesses of our heart. And he sees us for what we are. The one who has the eyes of fire looked into the heart of this church. And he had words of observation. He had words of commendation. He even had words of affirmation. But he had no word of condemnation to the church at Philadelphia. I'd have loved to have been a part of that church, Kelly. No word of condemnation. And, and, you know, I want you to think about that. What What would it have been like to be a member of the church at Philadelphia? The first Baptist, if you will, church at Philadelphia. Well, the first church in Philadelphia, here's what I will say to you, blows a hole in a lot of the modern philosophy about churches. One philosophy of the modern day church is that I'm going to wait till I find the perfect church to commit my life to. Well, may I say this to you? The church of Philadelphia was not a perfect church. How do I know that? Because imperfect people made it up. And wherever there is imperfect people, there is not going to be a perfect church. I have a, whether it is a pet peeve or just a personal philosophy, it seems to me that far too many people today are making the excuse, first of all, well, nobody's perfect, so it doesn't matter. Church of Philadelphia says it does matter. Other folks say, well, you know, the church is not perfect, so I, how much I commit is kind of up to me because it's just not right. I mean, it's just something's not right. So I just make it up. I can just commit what I want to. I'd be as faithful as I want to or as unfaithful as I want to. And it's okay. Now, you say, Brother Jerry, nobody believes that. If you want to know who believes that, come back tonight at 6 o'clock and see the difference in the crowd. You see, we as, a, we as church people, we as believers in Christ, we as the church of God, we've been commanded to do two things and not one. We're commanded to be faithful and we're commanded to be fruitful. Now, sadly today, parents of those little ones that we dedicated, sadly today in your generation, teenagers in your generation, in the younger generation, faithfulness is defined differently. You ask somebody, you go in this community, you say, are you faithful to your church? Well, yeah. Well, how long do you, how, how often do you go? Well, I go very faithfully Christmas and Easter. In fact, years ago, we had a youth musical that we did. And uh, one of the little uh, vignettes that ha- happened was somebody said, well, do you go to church? Yeah, I go Christmas and Easter. I'm very faithful. And he said, you sure God will even recognize you if he sees you? You see, people will say, well, I go a couple of times a year religiously, so I'm faithful. Others will say, I go once a month, so I'm faithful. In fact, I can tell you that North Highlands did a survey, and they found out that some 70, 75% in our area say that they are faithful in church attendance. 
And then you get into defining what they think faithfulness is, and you find out that it's, for some of them it's not even once a week. May I say this to you? Faithfulness once a week. You say, well, I'm faithful to the church. I'm there every Sunday. Well, how does that square with the Acts 2 believer who was gathering together every day? How does it square with Hebrews that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? Do you know why the Acts 2 believer got together every day? It wasn't out of compulsion. It wasn't out of guilt that the pastors put on them. It was the fact that they were so focused on trying to present and glorify God in their community that they knew that they had to come together at the end of the day to gain strength. Well, I faced this today. How did you handle it? And you learn from one another. That's faithfulness. You see, folks, we're called to be faithful. Now, I have a great illustration for faithfulness, and I did ask permission. I started just to use it. And it's from one of our young men, actually from one of our dads up here. And you know, I don't even see him now. He's gone. Oh, there he is. All right. His name's Adam Stevens. We were, we were talking about it, and I don't remember where it was. And Adam told me, he said, Brother Jerry, he said, let me do what I want to be. I want to be the man. I want to be the man. Now, you're going, he wants to be the man. Well, no. What his dad taught, what Rodney taught and instilled in Adam was this. At work, he wants to be the man. He wants to be the one that the boss can count on. He wants to be the one that will go the extra mile to make sure the job's right. If there's a little extra time needed, he wants to be the one that the boss can count on. He wants to be the man. And you know what happens? You know what the payoff of that is for, for somebody like Adam in your work situation? When the, when the company gets a little more money and can raise somebody's salary, chances are they're going to go to the man. When it comes time to make cutbacks, chances are they're going to retain the man. May I say this to you from the bottom of my heart? Our Lord today is looking for the man. The one who will go the little extra. The one who will stay a little longer. The one who will give a little more. That's what our Lord's looking for. That's faithfulness. Never make a mistake. We are commanded to be faithful, and faithfulness as a believer is your first call. But we're not only commanded just to be faithful, we are commanded to be fruitful. We have bought into, for the last 20 years, bought into the lie, well, God never commanded us to be fruitful. He just commanded us to be faithful. Well, go and open your Bible to John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much. Say it with me. Fruit. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, you know what you discover? You discover that Jesus reserved his harshest judgments for the unfruitful. He's called us to be consistent. He's called us to be faithful. He's called us to be fruitful. And for those who are fruitful, he prunes them back. That's why you count it all joy when you fall into various trials and such. And for the fruitless, he digs up and casts away into the fire. Now, this morning, as we look at this consistent church, what I want to say to you is that our Lord Christ wants every believing congregation to be consistent. He wants them to be fruitful. He wants them to be faithful. I remind you that this church in Philadelphia is the church and the city that Philadelphia means brotherly love. And they, and they had an impact on their community. So how do they do that? 
I want to offer you, flip on the back of your bulletin, and don't pass out, get up on the back of your bulletin. I want to give you five characteristics, five things that we need to take to heart about this consistent church. And I will do it as quickly as I can. We're a little long today because of the child dedication. And so we're going we're gonna to stay with God's word until he's through with us today. The first thing that I see here is what I call the opportunity. The opportunity. Now, what in the world am I talking about the opportunity? This church had a great opportunity for mission and ministry. They were on mission. How do I know that? Because it says, not only is, God, not only is Jesus the one who opens and no one can close and close with no one to open. He says, because you, you have limited faith, kept my, kept my word, not deny my name, I am placed before you an open door no one is able to close. They had an opportunity to impact their community, and they decided to do it. I just want to say this to you today. It is my belief that the greatest opportunity for this congregation is still ahead. The greatest opportunity for ministry is still ahead. You can go back over the last 39 and a half years of your life or this church life, and here's what I'll tell you. We can talk about the ups, we can talk about the downs, we can talk about the good times and the bad times. But listen, God doesn't put us through bad times. To waste it. Nothing that's gone on in your life or this church has surprised God at all. I believe, I believe that the greatest days of opportunity in Jesus are still ahead. Jesus wants us to be salt and light in this community. He wants us to glorify God in this community. But how does it start? What are some practical ways I can put my hands on? Well, first of all, I want to name to you four or five great opportunities for ministry that you have. If we're ever going to be a consistent church, we have to get a hold of God. We have to get a hold of God. And that begins in prayer. Rodney Stevens sitting down here, and he's sitting down here because of the baby, not because I told him I was going to pick on him. One of the things our men's ministry is doing right now is they're developing down here on the corner a prayer room. We need to have a place where we can just get along by ourselves with two or three just to get a hold to God. I hope that you'll help. I know that he's asked for help. We're going to develop a prayer room so we can come together where we can pray. Where on Sunday morning, when we have our prayer time, that it does not have to be out here where people are coming through, that we can get in a private place and we can get a hold of God. When I think about prayer, I think about our Thursday morning. Last week, seven, 8 o'clock in the morning, we had seven uh, of us gathered. That night, there were three more gathered, men gathered together, and we did not pray. Through the sick and afflicted list. We do that on Wednesday night. Here's our prayer. Lord, let revival begin and crush my heart and let it begin in me. You see, until people decide that, that the Lord has to crush our hearts and get a hold of us, we will not ever be any, worth anything to him. And some of you are going, well, Brother Jerry, that's only ten men. Well, you know what? Back in the 1850s, Jeremiah Lamphere pulled Together, and he announced a prayer meeting, spent 30 minutes by himself in prayer, and then seven people showed up. And in the next months, thousands came to pray, and revival swept this land, and millions were ushered into the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we need renewal, we need revival, we need a Pentecost, and let it start right here. But it will only start if we decide that we're going to pray. You want an opportunity? Men, 8 o'clock Thursday morning, or 7 o'clock Thursday night. You're not working one of those times. You can go and be a part. Now, ladies, we're working on your schedule. You should have it ready for next week that we can all pray. And I think there, there's value in the men getting together and pray and the women getting together to pray because of our roles that God has given us. 
first opportunity. Second opportunity of ministry and mission. Jim and Dana Waldrop have done an exceptional job. They don't know I'm going to mention their names, so you won't have to look at them. They have done an exceptional job of putting together a Wednesday night program for for children. Not just our children, for children. We did the backpack ministry, and guess what? We're now having close to 30, am I overstating it? Close to 30 boys and girls on Wednesday night. That would have been a good place for an amen. And we have six or seven families that have no connection to our congregation. They're coming for their children to be an RAs, GAs, and team kid. You see, what I want to tell you is down the road, these two guys are going to have to have some help. I know they have a little help now, but as you know, this ratio of 1 to 13 or 2 to 13 may have to have some physical help. Wednesday night is an opportunity for evangelism and discipleship if we'll take, take it. While I'm talking about Wednesday nights, we had talked about the snack suppers. This is, not a, this is not a family night supper. I'm not inviting you to dinner. We are trying to provide snack suppers for our boys and girls and their parents as they come in. We worked, we, we worked and worked and how we're going to do it. And now Linda Mickle has stepped forward and said, I'll coordinate it. Last year, many of you gave money. You know what? You keep giving that money. Linda, wave your hand so everybody knows who you are, please. Right there, okay? You can give money to her. You can give money to the office. You continue to support this. Now, finance team and I talked about it last Wednesday night, and we're going to do our part, but you keep doing your part. But listen, not only does money, but I'm going to tell you she's going to need some personnel to help her from time to time. You need to see her. That's an opportunity to make a difference in the life of a child. Wow. While I'm talking about Linda, she's also cooking for the JB, JV team a couple of times, three or four times this year, and she can use your help. There are places for you to serve the Lord by serving others if we will. You want some other opportunities? We need a point person for our children's ministry. We have people serving on the different levels, the Sunday school teachers, the Wednesday nights, and all this. We need somebody to head that up. We also are, are, are in need of, Brother Grant is um, preparing a Christmas program with the adult choir that involves the children for three pieces. So we need somebody to help with our children's choir. Is that not enough? The Courageous Project, sponsored by our men's ministry, has taken off. I think that all the tickets that we have in the office unaccounted for are about 60, 65 out of 300 in one week. Now, you can give yourself a hand for that. There are many ways that we can help. And you know what? Think about this. That neighbor that has not been in church in a long time, if you were to spend $10 by he and his wife a ticket to this movie and they go to this ticket... If they go to this movie and they come back with the message of God in their heart, how much easier will that make the ground, that soft plow ground for you to say, hey, why don't you, you know, the church that did this, why don't you just come and worship with us sometime? You see, opportunities abound. Now, I'm just going to give you a little, a little caution. Too often we only decide to minister in areas that affect me, that only affect I. If I got a child, I'll be in a children's ministry. If I got a preschool, I'll be in a preschool ministry. If I got a student, I'll be in a student ministry. You know what real ministry is, folks? Please listen. Real ministry for the consistent church is taking advantage of the opportunity to invest your life, to give yourself, and expect nothing in return. Too many of us 
determined that we're going to work somewhere as long as it benefits me. I see these four lives sitting on, standing on the stage this morning and the, and the eight parents. And I think, dear God, what a world. What a world for these lives to come up in. We simply have to do our part. Not because we're family. We have to do our part because of what Jesus has done in us. I'm going to move quickly. It is Also, we put in a call to the chamber. Dickens and I talked about it last time. We put in a call to the chamber. have not heard back yet. But we will find a way to be involved in our city so that we can glorify God in this city and introduce Jesus to this city. Opportunities abound. It's not a lack of opportunity. Here's what I want to say to you, and here's where the water meets the wheel. It is not a matter of whether we have an opportunity or not. The issue is, what will we do with the opportunity? Will we circle the wagons like so many? Just try to protect our four and no more? Or will we introduce Christ? The consistent church was introducing Christ. We will never be found fruitful until we found faithful. Because faithfulness is the precursor to fruitfulness. The opportunity of this church. He said, I've opened the door. Nobody can close it. While it is true nobody can close it, people can sure refuse to walk through it. And that brings me to the second thing that I've noticed here is not only the, op- not only the opportunity, but the observation. Jesus just made some observations about the church. And these observations are worth us taking some time to, to look at because it kind of blows, in the hole, blows a hole in our philosophy. We think that the churches that do best are the churches that are strongest on their own, the churches, the churches that need no help. And yet, he gives three observations about this church. First of all, he says it is a feeble church. It is a, it's not going to be on the screen. You can write it down if you want to. It's a feeble church. How do I know that? Because it says, you have limited strength. Limited strength. You see, the truth is, many churches don't think they need God. It's just kind of like, God, we got our program in place. You just kind of put it in, into neutral. We got it taken care of. I heard a preacher say this. He said, a church that doesn't need God doesn't have God. May I... Apply that to our lives personally. A person who's got it all figured out, a person who can live their life in their own strength, a person who can do it all on their own, they don't need God, so God's probably not present in their lives. You see, God doesn't show up to take part. God shows up to take over. This feeble church is a church that is weak as we know it. You know what Paul wrote? To the church in Rome, he said, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. To the Corinthians, he says, it is in our weakness that he is made strong. You think through the Bible and every character you find, you you can look at Gideon, you can look at David, you can look at Peter, and it was only in their weakness that God was made strong. Go back to Judges and look at Gideon. He started off with 22,000 soldiers. He could have defeated anybody in his own strength, and God said, you got too many. Out of 22,000. He didn't even keep 1%. Got back to 300. And he said, now I can use you. 
You see, the truth is, the truth is, he said, because you're a, because you're a church that's so weak, you depend on me. I've said this before to other folks. One of the, one of the most fruitful pastors I had, I'll never forget when I talked to the, to the, um, to the, to the search team. It was obvious to Deborah and I that they were afraid that their church was about to be lost. They were afraid that there was not going to be any more. They were so uncertain about their future. And you know what they did? They trusted their pastor. They trusted their deacons. They trusted their leadership. And over six years, we added almost 100 people a year to a church by the fruitfulness of God. You see, when we do it God's way, we can't go wrong. It is only when we're in our weakness that he's made strong. But not only were they weak, not only were they feeble, but if you look here, if you follow it on down, it says, because you have limited strength, they were a feeble church, but you've kept my word. They were firm. They stood on the word of God. What a commendation for a church that was under such fire. They stood on God's word. But please listen today. Before you can stand on God's Word, you've got to know God's Word. Before you can know God's Word, you've got to study God's Word. Before you can study God's Word, you have to read God's Word, and you have to read it daily. I could take many of the principles, and you can too, but may I just say this to you? If we were to do like Jesus did and wrap the whole thing up in just a couple of statements of God's Word. They said, Jesus, what is the, most, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, here it is. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. Now, when we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, we have a relationship with God through Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to God except through me. We either come through Jesus or we don't come at all. You don't like that? Take it up with him. I didn't say the words. We think we're too proud to bow a knee before him. And to humble ourselves before him, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You see, the word of God tells us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When we come into a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, here's what happens. We are, we are aware that we're brought from death to life. We are, we are aware that we're brought from hell to heaven. And because we are so aware of it, because we love him so much for what he's done for us, then we love our neighbors as ourselves, and we will not allow our neighbor to enter eternity on the wrong side of the fence. You see, when we stand on God's word, it changes our lives. We stand firm on his word. This church was a feeble church, but yet they stood firmly on God's word. And third thing you see here is that they were faithful. The third thing that you see is that not only you have a little strength, feeble, not only have you kept my word firm, but you have not denied my name, you're faithful. Now we've talked a little bit about being faithful and, and what it means that, that you step up, that you're the man. But what I want to say to you about this not denying name, not denying his name, is that have you ever thought about how you not deny the name of Christ? Anybody in this building who knows Christ, I don't believe any of us would on purpose deny the name of Christ. But have you ever thought about how it denies his name when you refuse to speak his name? Have you ever thought about it, how it denies his name when people are struggling and you don't give them a word from him 
because there's no word within you to offer. You see, it's still at the name of Jesus that people are saved. It's still at the name of Jesus that healing comes. It's still at the name of Jesus that hope comes. It's still at the name of Jesus. I want to, I want to encourage you to do something this week. If you're going to do it as a joke, just because Brother Jerry said to, don't do it. I encourage you, if it's not a part of your lifestyle, to every day, at least two times a day, speak the name Jesus. You see, because at the name of Jesus, we raise up that name, lives are changed. Here's what I will tell you is that if you step out like this consistent church did, like these consistent church members did, if you step out, you know what's going to happen? That's the next thing I see here is the opposition is going to come. The opposition is going to come. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to remind you of this. Whenever you step up for our Lord, there will be someone who will step up for the enemy. Now, did you hear that? Every time you step up for the Lord, every time you step out for the Lord, there'll be somebody to step out to represent the enemy. But why should we be, why should we be uh, surprised at this? The enemy hated Jesus. You go back into the, to the life of Jesus, you find it was the religious people, the Pharisees, that gave him the most struggle. And Jesus wouldn't play their games. You know what their game was? Power, prestige, authority. You see, Jesus called them hypocrites. You think you read some of the words. And you know what you discover? You discover as you as you read this, take note, verse 9, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan. That could be those folks outside who are living like the devil. That could be. But watch this. Those who claim to be Jews that would be believers and are not. That's from inside. That's from inside. You see, our Lord, our Lord says the closer that we get to the second coming, the more intense opposition is going to get. And oh, by the way, as per what Jude writes, that intense opposition is going to come from inside the church. It's interesting to me as I just, as I listen to people, the churches that receive the most criticism are the churches that seem to be on the front line. I can name them. Gardendale first. Hunter Street, Church of the Highlands. Sorry, Kim. Is that, is that, those are the churches that receive criticism. Dean Register, who preached here for us about four years ago, told me one time, he said, you know what? If you carry the ball, somebody's going to attack you. You know what's so sad about the churches that are receiving criticism today? They're normally receiving criticism from churches that not, are not doing anything. Somebody told R.G. I believe it was R.G. Lee. Brother Terry will correct me because he's heard this and he knows exactly right. I believe it was R.G. Lee. Somebody told R.G. Lee one time, said, I don't like your evangelistic ways. And he said, well, what are your ways? Well, I don't have any. He said, well, then I like mine a lot better than yours. You see, there's always going to be somebody telling you you can't do it. There's always somebody trying to rise themselves up. Third John speech of Diostrophes, who always was trying to run things. 
And what he would do is run them in the ground. Jude warns us about opposition. Opposition is going to be here, and it was in the consistent church. As long as that church keeps moving forward, there's going to be opposition. And that brings us to number four, the overcomers. Did you know that all believers, by nature of our salvation, by nature of our redemption, by the nature of just knowing Jesus, that we are to be overcomers because of Christ living in us, we have overcome darkness, we have overcome sin, we have overcome Satan, we can overcome everything Satan throws at us. And the consistent believer, the overcomer, does not jump ship at the first wave and wind that comes their direction. You see, Jesus has called us to overcome. Look back in your scripture. He says, take note, verse 9, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. Note this, watch this. You want to be, over, you want to be an overcomer? I will make them to come and bow down at your feet because they will know that I have loved you because you have, had, because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole earth. I happen to believe that's what he's talking about in the aftermath of the, uh, um, of the rapture. To test those who live on earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. You see, for the overcomer, there is life beyond imagination. There are gifts beyond our wildest dreams. The consistent church, the consistent church is the one that stayed the course. Now, I have told you all that to get to this right here. This is the point that I wanted us to come to. You have seen, you've seen the opportunities that abound. You've seen the observation Jesus made and how sometimes when we think we're the strongest, we're the weakest, and when we are the weakest, in his eyes, we're the strongest. Opposition is going to be there, and we as believers are overcomers. But I want you to see this last thing. If you have not listened to anything else today, please stay with me for the next just a few minutes. Because I want you to see the most thrilling part. I want you to see the most consistent part of all these letters. And that is the overseer. It's interesting as we read these letters that the overseer, Jesus, writes every one of these letters to the under-shepherd with a message for his people You see, Jesus is still looking at us with those eyes of fire. Nothing escapes his grasp. We're told in the Old Testament that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro to see who will be faithful. Told in the Old Testament that I'm, I've searched for a man to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap. Jesus, in this letter, paints us a picture to encourage us to remain faithful. It says to the, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, watch this, he says, I am holy, I am true, and I have the keys. Now, did you get that? I want you to hear that. Don't miss it. Jesus says, I am holy, I am true, and I have the keys. Can I just put that in good old southern, southern and Alabama talk? Here's what he says. He says, if you need it, I got it. Did you hear that? If you need it, I got it. One of the most 
disturbing and discouraging things as congregations should go, well, we might should do that, but we can't afford to do that. We don't have the money. We might need to do that, but we don't have the people resources. We might should do that. You know, it costs too much. Listen, let me tell you about who is our overseer. He is the one that took few loaves and a few fish and fed 5,000 people. He is the one that spit on the ground, made some mud, and cleared somebody's from being, healed somebody from being blind. He is the one that walked into a funeral and there's, set, there's the corpse and he raised that woman's son from the dead. He is the one himself. He's been in the ground and now he's resurrected. And he is the one that one day he's returning for his own. That's the overseer. He's the one that in the beginning he said, let there be. I don't know who heard it. I don't know who responded to it. But when he said, let there be light, guess what? Somebody hit the switch. When he said, let there be a firmament, somebody hit the switch. You see, the the holy and the true one says, if you need it, I got it. And it applies to everything, folks. It applies to his ministry, his work, his people, his finances, his resources, his church. If you need it, I got it. If you need forgiveness, I got it. If you need hope, I've got it. If you need help, I've got it. But not only is the holy one and true one, but you know the part of this that he wrote that just kind of, Thrills me. He says, I got the keys. I got the keys. You know what keys? I don't even have keys. Yeah, I do have one to my car. Left the rest of them on my desk. You know what key means you have the authority and the access. You go to any business, the people who hold the keys are going to have the authority to open the building. They have access to the building. Our Lord Jesus, he has the earthly keys. He has the heavenly keys. He has the eternal keys. And you know the best part I like? I believe that when he was on the cross and he died and they put him in the ground for those, th- for those three days, I believe he went down and he took the keys from Satan. Now he has the keys to death and hell. You see, our Lord Jesus has the keys. Whatever you need, you can come to him. We will never be a consistent believer. We will never be a consistent church until we trust Him for everything. Too often we live our lives like we don't trust in Him. Reminds me of a story I read this week. A young mother and wife was in the funeral home where her husband lay in state. She looked at her husband and friends around and she just kind of had a meltdown moment. How would she pay her bills? How would life go on? How would she raise that seven-year-old daughter? And she just had a meltdown moment. The seven-year-old daughter came and said, Mommy, what's wrong? And the mom felt like this was all too complicated for the seven-year-old to comprehend. And so she made some kind of fumbling response. And the seven-year-old said, Mommy, did God die? 
I wonder if sometimes we as people who are supposed to be born again, people supposed to be his, I wonder if we live our life like people will look at us like and saying, did God die? If we're going to be a consistent church, let me tell you how it's going to have to happen. First of all, we need to be a redeemed people. In this room, I dare say, there are those who have never invited Jesus into your life. You see, God loves the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That if you'll believe in him, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. And God demonstrated his love. That while you and I were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. And you know what else? When you call on the name of the Lord, it is only when you call on the name of the Lord that you can be saved. Apart from Christ, you're going to a place... That's not a heavenly place. Apart from the Lord, you're going to wind up in a place not prepared for you, but a place that God uh, sends those who sin and those who refuse to repent of sin. It's a place called hell. You see, if we're going to be a consistent church, we have to start right there. That we come to Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and for eternal life. Some here need to do that. You know how you'll know if you need to do that? Just as I spoke those words, here's what happened. You sensed that I was talking to you, and all of a sudden this voice over here on the other side said, oh, there the preacher goes again. You see, Satan doesn't want you to do it. He doesn't want you to trust God. He doesn't want you to come to Christ. And yet that voice on that side saying, you need to move. That's the Holy Spirit. And you need to make that decision. The Bible says today is the time of salvation. There are others in this room. Our hearts have become so cold and hard that they can't be busted with a sledgehammer. And to those folks, the Spirit of God is coming today saying, you need to be right with me. You need to be back involved in ministry. You need to listen to my voice once again. Just a second. We're going to have the altar open so you can come and just kind of speak to him. There's some who you've been praying about your church membership. And God's led you here. I don't believe you ought to go anywhere that God didn't lead you. To think too much joining the church is just because they got the coolest and the best and the latest and the greatest as opposed to where God's called you. Where has God called you today? Will we be a church in Philadelphia, a consistent church? Or will we continue business as usual? I know what God wants. What will we do? Let's pray together.